the book of Second Corinthians is actually the fourth book, or the fourth letter, rather, that was written from Paul to the church at Corinth. Biblical scholars tell us that there were a total of probably four, and the ones we have are uh, letters two and four, we have, which we call 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. But as we re- would recall, Paul, and, along with Aquila and Priscilla, had founded this, this church in Corinth. And Corinth was one of those kind of places. It was kind of the L.A. of its day. It was a challenging environment, a decadent culture, a, 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 a pagan and, and, and godless people. And in, in the midst of that reality, God, through the Apostle Paul and other dedicated believers, preached the word of God and a church was born in that, in that place, in that dark place. Light began to shine. As often is the case, as this church went forward, they began to experience some challenges. And what happens is sometimes God has taken us out of the culture, but we have not yet allowed God to take all of the culture out of us that we came out of, if you know what I'm saying. And so the church at Corinth had this incredible dichotomy because they were, on one hand, a very spiritual congregation. And it seems to be kind of a, a misnomer. It seems to be kind of a, a non sequitur. But they were, they were a very spiritual congregation. They're described, and we see evidence of that in 1 Corinthians, as a very charismatic, charismatic congregation where the gifts of the Spirit flourished. And people, particularly, the, particularly the, the gifts of the Spirit that people use in public, the sign gifts and the vocal gifts, they had a lot of that going on. A lot of, as you would say today, a lot of the anointing was there among them. And, 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 and so this was, a, this was to their credit that they were, they were on fire for God in a certain kind of way. On the other hand, among the, the church at Corinth, there were, there were problems because, again, of the fact that they were still kind of stuck in some of the customs and ways of, of their old life. And so in this church, there were things like sexual immorality that was unchecked. That was affecting the church. There, there was, there was a tendency towards division and, and, and controversy and schism. And there, there, there was an attitude towards leadership of looking at, at, you know, at, at saying, that's my, that's my bishop and that's my pastor and that's the one I follow, rather than respecting those that God had placed there. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. Some of you may not have understood the text from 1 Corinthians 11 that we read for, for communion, but what Paul is addressing there is the fact that in that context, the Lord's Supper was not what we have today, the little uh, the cracker in the juice or what we have in other settings, the wafer in the wine. Some of you wish we were more of an Episcopalian bent. You feel as though you might enjoy service more. But it was not that. It was, it was an agape meal. It was, a, it was the Lord's Supper. It was a full meal that they shared. And it was important not only because it commemorated Christ's body and blood, but because it was a way to share food with those in need. And Paul ch- chided them and corrected them because of the fact that the, the, the haves and the have-nots, the haves were coming in and say, hey, it's, it's a good meal. They were, they were praying over the food like Alvin. Good God, good meat. Oh, no, no, good, good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. I learned that from you, brother. And, and going at it, and people would, the, the poor people would come, and they really, not really need this dinner. You know, things are tight. And they were, sorry, it's all gone. As a matter of fact, you know, they, they were, you know, they were lingering a little bit long at the, at the communion wine, and uh, it was kind of, you know, everybody was kind of nice by the time some of the folks got there. like, what's up? The church is over. <laughs> I mean, all the way over, you know. 
And Paul is saying, you guys, you know, and this is what you heard, read from the scripture. was like, you guys got to get it together. So, so, so in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes them to, to correct some of these errors and to, to address these things. He writes, uh, and, and what he does also is he answers some of the questions that they've, they've shared with him between the first letter and that second letter, which is 1 Corinthians. But then what happens from there is that the, a, a change takes place in, in Paul's relationship with Corinth. And, and, and between... 2 Corinthians and the letter, uh, 1 Corinthians and the letter we have is, as 2 Corinthians, there's another letter that is lost to us as well. And Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians. It's called the severe letter or the tearful letter because what has happened is at first the challenges that the church is facing are basically internal. We just need to get our act together. We need to think properly about the things of God. We need to deal with our stuff. But then some folks from the outside had begun to kind of talk some stuff into this congregation and had begun to, to impugn Paul's character and, and question his leadership and had set up more division and dissension within the church. And so there's this third letter called the severe letter that he writes basically to slam him and say, listen, you got to get your act together. you got you got, you got to get this right. And, and, and he basically you know, plays his authority card. you got to remember who you're dealing with here and who I am and who God has made me in your life. So as we get to 2 Corinthians, what we find is that the letter has a bit of a conciliatory tone as Paul has, has been involved in, in leveling discipline towards these believers who needed to be disciplined. And now he's bringing some healing and some closure to some of these issues. And, but one of the things he does as well is there's a lot of self-disclosure on the part of Paul in 2 Corinthians. And I, and I love the fact that he discloses himself. He gives us a glimpse of him in his humanity. And, you know, I learned something very useful from Paul in reading 2 Corinthians. And this is just a side note. I learned that uh, sometimes it is a virtue and it is absolutely okay to be defensive when you need to be defensive. Because if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul sometimes is being defensive. And he's stating his case and he's reminding them of who he is and, and what, what time it is. And, and at one point he says, you know, oh, you know, excuse me, I know I sound like a fool here, but uh, just think about this. So I learned from Paul. That, you know, we think that all defensiveness is bad. But, you know, when, some, when you are standing in a place of authority, when you're standing in a place of leadership, or you're standing in your life and someone wrongly accuses you or something or impugns your character, tries to step into your spot, it is absolutely of God to say, you know, stop and remember who I am. And Paul does it. He says, listen, we're not, we're not running games here. This is not a joke. I am the apostle God has called me to be. I'm sit here to minister to you guys. I've, I, and, and see, the thing about, about 2 Corinthians is that the people that have been around Paul, I mean, the people that have been around the church, they're looking at Paul because, and, and as we segue into the text here, Paul is not the super apostle that some were looking for. You know, I know some of you are looking for a super pastor and super preacher, and you know you didn't find him here. You just found a regular guy. Somebody could say, that's the piano playing preacher, Whatever. I listen, piano playing, floor, my whatever it takes to get the job done and to spread the work of the kingdom, right? But 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 they were looking for you know in in First Corinthians that was this guy Apollos, this this this, this Greek trained orator, the silk tongued guy that that they kind of like better. I can I can imagine Apollos had better hair than Paul because Paul didn't have much by this time. Paul had had Paul needed to get his eyes fixed. Paul didn't see so well, and so he writes sometimes real big letters. He said, I'm, "What's that there?" You know what I'm talking. Some of you are like that right now, uh, Paul was erudite in his own, you know, in his own right, but he chose not to, to go with that. He said, I, I determined to know nothing among you 
When I was with you, I, I'm not trying to be all smart. And I'm not trying to be all highfalutin. I'm not trying to be all this and that. I'm trying to witness to you about Jesus and him crucified. And so when you get me, Paul says, you get the regular guy, all the warts and all the scars and all of the, the bruises from the suffering that I've encountered on behalf of the gospel because that's the Jesus life. It's not one of perpetual ease and comfort. You get bruised and battered and beat up and you share in the glory of Christ. And that's who I am. And everybody didn't like that. So Paul here is, is, is normalizing his relationships in 2 Corinthians. And so in this chapter that we look at, he begins this chapter by saying, you know, basically we, we've set the truth before everybody playing. We're not playing games here. We're not trying to con anybody. We have been of integrity. We've been faithful to the work of God. And we aren't playing around. We've up, up, upheld the truth to every man's conscience. Tell them, listen, he says, because if our gospel is hid, it's hid to the folks that are lost. So I'm going to make sure that I am above all proclaiming the gospel. And he goes on to identify with his struggle. And I, I, somebody I know I made a funny face when Phyllis was talking this morning because I did this, you know, I, what she, what, what you said in your exhortation during prayer was just like so much in line with where we're going today because you talked about the fact that we, we're not coming into, you know, we can have a really, really vapid and, and, and meaningless celebration by just saying, this is going to be the best year ever for everybody and everything. And I told you guys, like when, you know, you got to, when you get up in front of three, 40,000 people and you say, this is your year of increase. Yeah. You hit about 20% of the congregation. And then the other 80, they're going to stay, the other 60 going to stay level. Another 20, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to decrease for a bit. You know, life isn't life. Life isn't like that. The Christian life isn't Paul's real about it. He says, listen, I've been through some stuff, but he says, I'm perplexed. He says a few verses up, but not in despair. I'm I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm, 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 I'm crushed, but not destroyed. In other words, I've been through some stuff, but through it all, somehow I managed to come out on the other side. And and I'm not telling you that this life is free from pain and free from struggle and free from heartache and free from difficulty. But what I'm telling you, Paul is saying to them, is that I've got these real scars and I'm really glad, Paul is saying, to be able to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And I'm glad to be able to put some skin in the game in my quest to share the gospel with you and to further the, the message of the truth. And so Paul is saying, listen, verse 16, he says, he says, therefore, and this is the second time he begins the chapter with, the, with these words. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart. And he goes down in verse, in this verse, in verse 16, he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. He says, though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, you get the picture? Through all of the challenges, through all of the struggles, through all of the trials, we, we pay a Christ to, to, to do this thing. We, we, we encounter loss in the course of our life. We, we, we get older. We, things change. But whatever it is, there's this thing that keeps on happening that, that is so awesome and so wonderful. I want, I want you to think about it this year. He says, I am being, by the Spirit of God, renewed day by day by day by day. And notice what he does here. He says, we do not lose heart. That, that we is what's called an, an apostolic plural. And, and it's he writes as an apostle in the plural, but he's really saying me. He's saying, listen, I, Paul is saying this, I made up in my mind that I am not going to lose heart. I am not going to cave. I am not going to fold. I am not going to throw in a towel. We don't lose heart. He says, listen, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're renewed every day. I think, I think in, this, in these three verses, there are, there, there are three choices that we need to consider this morning. And, and the first one is this. We need to make sure we choose renewal over discouragement. I think that's the core of what he's saying here in this verse. We need to choose renewal over discouragement. Let's talk about renewal for a minute. And, you know, I was thinking about when I was young many years ago, younger, when I was a child. Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about, particularly if you came up in L.A. They remember the birthday shows on TV, Chucko the Birthday Clown. Some of you say, what is he talking about? I liked him because his name was Chucko, you know. His clowns are always scary, but, you know, he had this big thing on. But I think, weren't you on that program, Charlene? Didn't you? Yeah, you, my wife was a TV star at a young age in the crowd of kids. And then there was Engineer Bill. Was it, was that, no, Farmer John. was No, not Farmer John. Sheriff John, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Sheriff John, Farmer John. That's, that's over in Cudahy. That's where you get the sausages. But, but, but Sheriff John, he had this song he would sing every day on, the, on, on TV. It was, for, it was a birthday song for the kids. Little kids come up there for their birthday, and they're on TV. And he, has a, he says, put another candle on my birthday cake, my birthday cake, my birthday cake. Put another candle on my birthday cake. I'm another year old today. Yeah, some of you old enough to remember that? Some of you, no, we forgot. Now, come on, I ain't that old now. Come on. I wasn't there by myself in the 60s. And some of you, and you know, we remember candles on the cake, don't you? I've got my little grandson here today. Max is here. And Max is, is he just celebrated two months old. He had a little two-month-old tie. And he had a little picture, and he's looking at the camera. You know, and when he gets one, they'll have a party. And you know, the trend is now that for children's parties, it's basically adult parties. And they have, you know, people behind my house, they have, I remember when their kid was born. Because I've been watching it. They live behind my house. I live higher. I look down in the yard. And I've been watching it for years. I remember when the kid was born, I heard the baby cry. And I remember the first birthday. And I saw all the Budweiser out there. And I heard the music till 11 o'clock at night. And I knew that the baby had long been asleep. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we celebrate those birthdays. And, and then, you know... One and then two and then the kids, about three, four years old, you know, you, they put the candles on the cake and then you get 20 and put candles on the cake. But you know, after a certain time, it's like, it's not like, don't, you don't say, put another candle on. No, don't. When you get 35, just give me the ones that say three, five, two flames. And then by the time you get a little bit further, you don't want a whole lot of candles because you don't have the wind left to blow them out. <laughs> and so, you know, age, because you see what we have to deal with. And let me put this in perspective as we talk about the fact that though outwardly we're wasting away. I, I believe that, I think that some of us need to be careful because I think some of us give in to the ravages of, of aging uh, too easy and too early. I, I, if you're 35 and you misplace your keys and you talk about you have a senior moment, I'm going to slap you all upside your head. <laughs> you go somewhere and work your brain and keep it vital because you're going to need it for a long time. You know, sometimes we just give in to stuff. We assume, well, you know, I'm 45 years old. I got to ride a little cart at the grocery store. Whatever. You know, you need to be walking. You know, so, I mean, on that end, I think, and, I, and you know, we talk about genetics. You come to understand that oh, gene, there's this thing called gene expression. And you can kind of, by certain lifestyle choices and certain habits and certain ways of doing things, you can turn off certain things and turn on other things. So, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I'm not a fatalist. Like, well, you know. 
life is bad and then we're gone. You know, but, but really, the truth of the matter is, from the time you're born, you grow up to a certain level of maturity. And then you join all of humanity in this inexorable journey towards the grave. And no matter how good you are, how much you work out, how good you eat, uh, you're not going to be the same place at 80 as you were at 70. And not the same place at 70 that you were at 60. And, and if, if you're 50 years old, you're probably not going to be quite as strong as a 20-year-old guy who just came out the gym and is playing football in college. You know what I'm saying? And Paul is saying, listen, we as human beings, we have these frailties and, and there's a sense in which our lives are kind of wasting away with time. Not only that, but the, the, the thing that Paul would, would help us to see is that he's experiencing this on the, on the level of the fact that he is giving his life away to serve God's people. He's going places and being persecuted and encountering all kinds of danger and carrying all kinds of loads of stress because of the call on his life. And in his case, there's a price he's paying. He says, listen, on one hand, as a human being, my physical frame, my, my, my body, as you see it, uh, basically it's, it's, it's faded away. It's headed for that place. But the dichotomy is this, and here's the opportunity and the potential that our inward self, your spirit, though your outer self, though your outward self is wasting away, he says, what I'm leaning into is, I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to let that govern my existence. But what I'm going to lean into is the fact that by the spirit of God, inwardly, I am being renewed day by day so that 10 years from now, I, I would, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I figured out this one thing. I'm really smart. I figured this out this morning. Thought about watch night next year. All of you going to be a watch. I know you are because you, you will have heard what a blast we had on Thursday night. And you will realize that it is becoming the place to be in LA on New Year's Eve. All right. And we'll, we'll be there again next year and we'll gather and we'll fellowship and and hang out, right? But I can tell you this. I don't know what you will have gone through this year. I don't know what you're going to accomplish or not accomplish. I don't know what you're going to do. But I'll tell you, there's one thing I know about you next New Year's Eve. You're going to be one year older than you are now. You're older. You're older than you was before. And you're going you, That's there's no, no doubt about it. We get older. Life moves on. But here's the thing. We have the opportunity to choose between discouragement. Paul says, I don't lose heart. I want you to get what he's saying because it's kind of like, he's, he's kind of like saying that in the sense that I said years ago, I don't do black IPs. And some of you are looking at me with ire and with, 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 with disdain. But as a child, I, I made up my mind. I was like four or five years old. I said, I don't eat them. And it, it cost me some pain, Renee. Oh, and I, every time it gets to New Year's, my wife, you know, you have to hear me tell the story because, uh, because we, my, see, I came, my parents were from Texas, and you know, in the old days, many, you know that, were well, you supposed to eat what's on your plate? And they said, my mom said, you going to eat them black eyed peas. I can't eat them. I sat there. She, they kept me at the, at the table there. This is New Year's Eve, and on New Year's Day, we were going to go out to Pasadena to see the rose the rose floats, rose uh, parade floats, right? And so we were going to have tuna fish sandwiches. My mom said, if you don't eat them black eyed peas, we're going to take them black eyed peas out there tomorrow, and that's what you're going to eat for lunch. <laughs> Is that, I think that's child abuse. <laughs> God bless my parents. But I wasn't going to eat them. I can't stand. Little, all them little eyes looking up at me. I, I am, 
I hate black eyed peas. If you like them, that's good because I'll turn all the ones that people pass my way, I'm going to send them to you. But I, 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 I don't do them. I just don't eat that. Okay. I don't eat black eyed peas. I just, that's just the thing. It's just me. I love broccoli. Give me some kale. I don't care, but I don't eat black eyed peas. By the way, the next day we went to the Rose Parade and when we got ready for lunch, I was in angst all night, four-year-old, major, major depression, right? And the next day we got out there and looked at the floats. I didn't want to see these stupid floats. And then it got lunchtime and they pulled out and handed me a tuna sandwich. Yeah. Thank God for mercy. And I still didn't eat no black eyed peas. And Paul, and so it gets to be like this as an adult. You know, there's just certain things you don't know. So I, I don't do that. I don't do black eyed peas. You have your thing that you don't eat, right? The one thing, something that you just don't like or, just, or something that you just refuse. In a sense, Paul is saying, I don't do discouragement. I, I, what I hear him saying is, I, he says, we don't, he doesn't say, we're trying not to lose heart. See, that's what we say. I'm, I'm trying to stay on top of things. I'm trying to stay. He says, we don't, he says, we don't lose heart. We've been through a lot of stuff. We've made up our minds somewhere along the way that we were not going to succumb to, to, this, to this thing called discouragement, that we're not going to descend into the slew of, of, of cynicism and discouragement and depression and, and, and anxiety, that we were going to stand on the promises of God and that we were going to experience this wonderful gift that Christ gives us of renewal that comes to us day by day. He said, I don't do that. I don't, we don't lose heart. I may lose my keys, but I'm not going to lose heart. I, I may struggle here and there and this and that, but I don't. He says, I don't. I made a choice to not allow discouragement to rule in my life. And here's the choice we have. I'm not telling you, I'm not some kind of super guy. I don't have this, 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 this incredible special anointing where, where I can, I, I, you know, where, where, where I never have a problem. I'm not trying to tell you that at some point in your life you're going to, for a moment, have a, a twinge of discouragement. There's some times that you're going to, listen, you're going to, you're going to go home in the afternoon and evening after a day at work or you're going to have gone through something or an interaction with somebody and in that moment you're going to feel just horrible and you're going to sit down and you're going to call your friend and that's what you're supposed to do and have somebody pray with you and talk to somebody that you care about and that loves you and you're going to and it's all right to cry a little every now and then it's all right to feel your feelings people say well you shouldn't feel that way how can you tell me these are my feelings and you feel the way you feel i feel the way i feel that's all right but you make up your mind i, I may have to visit that place for a moment but that's not what i don't want to rent a hotel room there i don't want to stay there i don't want to live there because there's this insidious thing where if you allow discouragement to reign in your life it will take over and paul says listen we don't do that i've chose encouragement i chose renewal i reject discouragement in favor of renewal that's why he says listen i I'm, we're perplexed sometimes but we're not in despair we're trying to figure this thing out but we ain't giving up we ain't quitting so we choose between Choose between this thing of, of discouragement and day by day, perpetual, continual renewal. The second thing we choose is between uh, this thing of, uh, well, we, we choose hope over self-pity. And I got to show you how I get these two words out of the context. But he says, for our light and momentary troubles, Right? He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them. That's our light and momentary troubles. Oh, now, there's a, few, there's a picture I want you to get in your mind. You hear what he's saying? First of all, somebody's saying, who is Paul to tell me my troubles are light? 
he don't know what I'm going through. I can imagine some of his readers at Corinth saying, who do you think he is? He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. You get that? Now, here's the, ch- we all, you, you got any trouble in your life? Some of y'all, every time I see you walk in, I hear trouble man. No. Man, I used to like that commercial with a dog with the bone and the dog hunts and the song, trouble, I got trouble. Did you cry? Poor doggy. Now, we have troubles, and we have troubles that, are, that result from our commitment to Christ and from our, our, the choice we made to follow Jesus. And, and, and here's what we can do. If we don't do the proactive and the right thing, which is to realize that what he's saying is right, we engage in this thing called self-pity. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hardcore today, but I, just stay with me for a moment. First of all, what Paul is saying God has promised us is that we, we, we would come to understand that through our troubles, God is allowing us, is achieving on our behalf an eternal, and, and notice this word, glory. Now, I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk about what that means because we could brush over that because it sounds so ethereal that we might miss it. You, there are several stages to your journey as a Christian. One is that you have been saved and are being saved from sin. Second is that you are sanctified. If you, if you grew up Kojic or holiness, you remember the testimony service. Praise the Lord, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And now with a mighty burning fire, pray my strength in the Lord that I fail him not in this last evil day. Praise the Lord. Sanctified, meaning we, we've been saved from sin. We've been set apart unto God. And, and, uh, and, that's, and, and all of those have their experiential and positional dynamics. But then the other thing we don't think about is the fact that we, will, we are being and will be glorified. Let me say this to you so you understand what I'm saying. You are becoming more than you are. You are destined for more than you are experiencing. You are not destined simply to die and show up somewhere with a lot of clouds with a little silly harp and float around, say, hey, what's up? And giving everybody a high five. We made it. We barely got in here, but here we is. Where your house? Over here. Listen, in all seriousness, I want you to get this because sometimes as, 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 you know, I think that the Eastern Orthodox branch of the church gets this a little better than, 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 than some of the other branches do, uh, and, and, and probably some others, because we, we, we are so trying to not, to not cross any boundaries. But I want you to realize something. You, uh, let me put it to you this way. Some of you, when you get dressed up and when you are on your game, I put, I'll use my wife so I don't get in no trouble. But my wife, man, my wife is like, she's my wife, first of all. See, I, I do this kind of stuff that gives me brownie points at home, right? I'll probably, probably get out some chores this week. But my wife is, 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 is a lovely woman. And when my wife, you know, and she's got this, this inner strength and this dignity and this sweetness. And, but you, you all, if you all have been, dealt with her, you know she is not no pushover. 
and she's, a, she's got this incredible inner strength with this incredible sweetness. And, and you know, so you look at her, and, like, you know, she's, she's, you know, this year she got her Ph.D., so, you know, and all that stuff. And, and, and I look at Charlene, and she's a wonderful, radiant human being who, who has done much with her life and who takes good care of herself and has dignity and has, has this kind of thing about her. I, I think about it. I said, boy, if I, if I was single now at this age and I, and, and I met her, I'd, I'd take her, I'd ask her out. <laughs> of course, I'm not single at this age, thank God. But, but and, and, and some of you are like, when you are together, you are... But I want to say, if you in this life with some nice clothes and your hair did just right and everything going for you and showing up at some social event or some education, if you can be as glorious and as beautiful as you can be in this life, can you imagine what you will be on the other side? When there's no sin to enter into the equation, when there's no, no hindrance, when there is no age and no decay and, 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 and no wasting away. And we're destined for something greater. And Paul is saying that you get to that glory. Paul talks about it in Romans 5. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have gained access, access into this grace in which we stand. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he's not just talking about glorifying God in that sense, but the fact that you and I will share in his glory. We are destined to share, to rule and reign with God and Christ. But you get there through the pathway of the trials and the tribulations and the sufferings that God allows in your life. And as you go through those, you, God is making something of you and working in your life. Some people don't like that, but that's what the Bible teaches. He says, listen, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, for our light and momentary troubles, they're working in us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Stay with me now. Listen, listen. So, so can imagine, imagine, imagine. There's... I have a big beam scale up here. Just, just, can you see that? You see it? It's big. It's about this big. It's a beam scale. And, and the, the fulcrum is right here. You know, on the one side, like a seesaw, right? right? And uh, we're not going to have you guys get on it and, you know, check your weight against you. No, none of that. We've got this big scale. And so every time, every time something, I, get, I encounter trouble, it's a weight on me, right? You know, and so I go and say, okay, here. I, maybe I was at church. I was leading worship, right? And I'm on the keyboard. I go home and I realize, man, I'm leading worship. I'm sitting there and I look out there and about almost all of them are looking at me like this. And I said, well, that's because the words are up there over your head and some of them need to get their eyes fixed. Because no, that's not bad. Oh, but, but, oh, so-and-so looked at me. Somebody didn't speak to me. Oh, I'm so wounded. Somebody rolled their eyes at me. Somebody fell asleep when I was preaching, just like some of you are about to do right now. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe something real, like someone really didn't, you know, I, I've, I've lost some friends sometimes because of the stands you're taking. Like, so you say, here, this is my, tr- my trouble. And you put it on the scale. And the scale goes down. And then Jesus comes along. It's okay. I see you one pound. Now, a Hammond B3 organ w- without benching pedals weighs, I think, 310 pounds. And I have, I've heft these guys around by myself and with me and two guys so I know that that's true. 310 pounds. Jesus said, oh, that's okay. He says, take this. I'm an organ. Boom. There you go. It far outweighs. So, okay. So he said, I got some more. Oh, oh, oh. Somebody, somebody beat me up because they saw me coming out of church. And so I'm really distraught. 
oh God, this is the weight of, 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 of persecution is on me. And you put another, maybe about 10 pounds, or go get you a little small barbell. See? And then Jesus said, that's all right. They said, go out there and get me that, that Lexus SUV right there and bring that in here. Womp. In other words, what Paul is saying is that no matter what you go through, the weight of glory that is yours, that is that you are destined for, is so much. You, 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 you can the scale will always tip in favor of God and His purpose for your life. There's no way you will lose. But see, uh, sometimes, sometimes I don't get it. So sometimes, stay with me now. Sometimes. I decide I want to have a party, but it's a particular kind of party, and it's a party of one. It's called a pity party. So I go to, go to the party store, get, some, get a black little hat, I get a, get a little harmonica that plays a minor chord. Give me some noisemakers, go home, make me a devil's food cake. I'm gonna have meat, and I got meat, and make sure you get some chicken wings, not wings, but wings. And I'm there for this pity party. But then sometimes you have to think about things. Because look at look at this is look what Paul says. You have to look at who's talking. He says, "For our light and momentary troubles." So you got to consider who's talking. I went over to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, about verse 25. And Paul, you know, I, I found Paul's new resume. He's working on his new resume. Y'all got a resume? Or, or, or sorry, if you're like my wife, you got a curriculum vitae. You got a vitae, a vita, or a resume, whatever you call well, Paul had one in Philippians 3, and he tore that one up. He said, you know, it was all this in the Jewish community. But, but you know, that, now that, that doesn't count anymore. But in, in, in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, okay, here's my new resume. Click, 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 click. He says, he says uh, three times I was beaten with rods. He says, One time I was pelted with stones. He said, I, 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 I've been shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That's Paul. That's his resume. This is because you see, he's chosen the glory in his sufferings, and he wears his 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 sufferings and his pain as a badge of honor. Something he's come through by the grace of God, and he ain't ashamed of. And these are his qualifications. Y'all don't know if any of y'all would hire him, but he says this. He says, "I've often been on the move. Papa Paul was a Rolling Stone. Wherever he laid his hat was was his home." He said, "You don't want to talk about danger. I'm no stranger to danger." He said, "I've known dangers." Dangers in, in various places. Dangers in the, in, 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 in the, from rivers. Dangers from uh, my fellow Jews. Dangers from Gentiles. Dangers from dangers in the city. Dangers in the country. I guess dangers from strangers. And he says at the end of that list, he says, and dangers from false believers. He said, I've often been hungry and thirsty and without food. He said, I've been, I've toiled and labored and often gone without sleep. He said, I've been cold and naked. And then he said, and besides all that, 
I carry, I bear the constant stress of my concern and my care for all of the churches. And see, Paul would like, I got one church, and y'all, and I'm in a, this, I'm among the, the uh, Christianity in America. There are millions of us in this big, and so it's not, Paul is like leading these churches that have been raised up out of nowhere among people that don't have no spiritual orientation, and he's preaching a gospel that hadn't even been heard yet, and he's trying to bring these people to mature. And, and he says, but that's the same Paul that says, our light and momentary afflictions. You get it? And so and then I start thinking about it. I'm at my pity party, right? I'm blowing the thing and getting ready to cut the cake. Already down a couple of chicken wings. And I realized, I said, I think about it, guys. I said, wait a minute. I know I've been, I've been through some stuff. You have too. And, and God never minimizes our, our, our struggles, our pain. And I'm not trying to do that today. But I'm just saying we have to put it all in perspective and we need to make certain that we don't succumb to self-pity because we've got a hope that is so far beyond anything that we can imagine. But so, so I'm at the party, right? And so I'm, 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 I'm having a good time by myself. And then I, then I, then I, then I, I see Paul's resume. Sometimes you look at somebody else's resume and it makes you a little jealous because you realize, oh, wait a minute. I haven't been beaten with rods three times. I got Whoop with a strap when I was a youngster. I came, I came out all right. I haven't been pelted with stones. I've never been shipwrecked. I had an old car that left me stranded a few times, and I got rid of that. But I've never been shipwrecked, and I certainly have, have never been, uh, you know, in the sea for a day and a night. I, I haven't worried so much about dangers in the rivers and dangers from, you know, from Jews and dangers from Gentiles and dangers um, in the city and dangers in the country. I than kind of watching my back when I'm on the wrong side of town. You know what I'm saying? There's all this stuff he talks about. He says, yeah, I've I've lost some nights in in this, in this ministry, in this work of sleep. I've been, I've had my moments, but I haven't chronically been on the run and on the go and always traveling and, and not sleeping. And I certainly have been, have not been one to, to want for food. Matter of fact, many of, like many of us, I had to pass up on, so no thank you. So I look at Paul's situation. I look at what he says. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. And so then all of a sudden I said, this party is dead. You didn't take off the stupid hat, throw down the noisemaker, take it, put the devil's food cake in the trash can, and go and bake an angel's food cake. And then I said, you know what, because there's the, the something about a party of one ain't never no good, no way. Nobody's going to have a party with one. But the thing about the pity party, think about self-pity, you notice that it tends to be a lonely affair. It tends to be a solo thing. When we engage in self-pity, it separates us and isolates us and marginalizes us and, and sets us apart from the body of Christ. And so we're there. When you have a pity party, nobody wants to come to your pity party but you. It's the loneliest place you could ever be. And so what you do is you say, you know what? I'm sick of this stupid pity party. I get up and put my shoes on, comb my hair. And I say, you know what? I'm going to the real party, which is over at the church. I'm going to the praise party where people are coming together, together and we can commiserate about our pain. We can share our feelings. We can be honest about our hurts. But at the end of the day, what we do, instead of a pity party, it becomes a praise party because we give praise and honor and thanksgiving to God because we realize... 
The word of God is true and it says, these light and momentary, and you need me and I need you to remind us, we need to remind each other that this is only for a little while. We need to remind each other that this, this, this is momentary and, and in the grand scheme, in the scale of life, what you will receive on this end from what you've put in on this end is so much greater that it is not to be compared. So I reject self-pity. I've been through some stuff and I know you. I go through stuff and you do too that nobody knows about. But we reject that and we, we, we choose hope. The hope that we have of glory. The hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we reject discouragement. And then the third thing we do. So we walk. We choose to walk. And this is simple. It comes right out of the text. We choose to walk by faith rather than by sight. Sometimes words from scripture have been, become cliched to us because they're used glibly and tritely. We don't stop to consider what they really mean and what's really entailed. And I know the hour's late, so I won't give you a whole discourse on this, but suffice it to say, look at what he says. He says, so we fix our eyes. I want you to remember that. We fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is what? Eternal. But I want you to catch the, those, 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 those words. He says, so we fix our eyes. I want to suggest to you that some of you need to get your eyes fixed. Uh, and yes, I mean, I'm not talking about LASIK. He says, listen, here's the thing. Talking about walking by faith, not by sight. Not talking about an ostrich with, with his head, in the proverbial head in the sand. I, I, I did resolve this year to probably consume less news. Because the news makes me angry and, 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 and stressed out, and frustrated, disgusted. But we, we need to know what's going on in the world. We're going to see the crime that's going on around us. We're going to see the decay in, in our culture, in our community. We're going to see the, the wars and, the, and, and all of the crazy stuff in the world around us. We're going to know about all of the international crises and all of the, all of the things. We're going to, all the spiritual battles. We're going to see all this stuff. It's in the news around us. We're going to see the, the decay and the decline in the community around us. And hopefully we're becoming a part of making a difference with regard to that. We're going to see those things. But see, the issue is not that you, whether or not you see them, but it's where you fix your eyes. Uh, you see, I, I see a lot of things, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not gazing on those things. I choose not, I, 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 I might want to, I might hear about what's going on, but I'm not going to just sit there and gawk at it until I am depressed and confused and lost all my faith and, and, and just as, as distraught and, and, and confused as everybody else in the world around me. Because the writer to Hebrews puts it like this. He says, you know, you understand we're surrounded with this cloud of witnesses, but that's, you know that they're there. They're people that have gone on and done it before you. They've, they've showed you what faith really is, and they showed you what faith is. Faith isn't just a bunch of talk, and it's not just mental assent. Wow, I really believe that. It's people who lay their life on the line for what they believe. If you believe something, you do something. Faith is not the, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can. Faith is you step out, and God says do it, and you do it. God says... You know, behave this way, act this way, live this way, commit yourself, and you do it. That's what faith is. 
And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, and so this is what you do. You throw off all the weight that hinders and everything and the sin that so easily besets, and you run with patience to race. He's using a different set of metaphors, but then the same thing. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh, and he goes on, he says, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty in heaven. Oh, just another side note from that Hebrews passage. You know, when he, when he goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, which of you has ever in your struggle against sin resisted to the point of shedding your blood? That's a little subtle dig by the writer. He's saying, yeah, you've been through some stuff, but ain't none of you hung on no cross. You've been through some stuff, but you, you, you haven't hung... You don't know what it's like. He knows what your plight is like, but you don't know what it's like to be the Lord of glory, to be the second person of the Trinity, to come to be, to pour, to be poured into a human frame and to live among crazy folks like us when you're God. <laughs> to be mistreated and talked about and lied on and, and scorned, to, to heal people and serve people and love people and bless people and, and, and to be misused and mistreated, go through a mock trial and, and, and falsely accused and falsely and wrongfully convicted and marched up a lonely hill and hung on a cross in front of everybody virtually naked, spikes in your hands and feet. You never did anything wrong. That's Jesus. And you do that and you lay, you lay your life down for people and they sit there, they're mocking you and jeering you. And in that moment, the weight of all of the sin of the world is placed on your shoulders and you are the son of God, the word of God incarnate. You don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. He says, none of you have gone to that. So, so I know we've been through some stuff. And, 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 and beloved, I, I, I understand that we've got pain. And every time your heart was broken, Jesus' heart has been broken with you and for you. Through every struggle you've gone through, he's been there with you and always be. And he always will be. And he cares about you more than you care about yourself. But the point is this, he says, what you do is you fix your eyes. You fix your eyes on Jesus. So, and I thought this morning, earlier this morning, meditating on this, and I thought about, I had this picture of, you know, once a year my wife leaves me. Someone will get this message on audio and they'll stop it right there. See, see, they, I knew they weren't right. Once a year my wife leaves me and goes to, to her convention. She's gone for like six days or so. And there's a part of me, the guy part says, wow, I'm going by myself. I had a house to myself for a whole week. And by about the second day, I am so bored and miserable and lonely. But I was thinking, so I, I remember last time I went to pick her up at the airport. And actually, you know, I actually went in. That's love. I did, you know, I know we like to just you know, try to cruise by. Hey, I went in. I parked. And I went in. I, I, I went in and, and I was, you know, at the, by the baggage claim to meet her. And it was funny because everybody from the Essence Festival was coming back. I just, this is bad, but they were. And so everybody in the terminal was like African-American. It was so funny. I said, I look like Soul Plane or something up in here. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because they were all coming back from New Orleans, you know. But, but, I, was waiting, and I, but I had this picture of mine. Can you picture this with me? Is this... this, this in your mind, can you picture a huge airport terminal? And way down there is where you come out to, to, towards baggage claim. And just imagine there are thousands of people. All in. This is the worst day in LAX ever, if there is any one worse than the one you last experienced. And I want to meet my baby. I, I, want, I can't wait just to see her. <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait. 
to see her smiling face. I can't wait to, 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 to you know, give her that kiss and that hug. I can't. And so I, in this moment, I'm trying to. And so all of a sudden, way down there, I see some sister locks in the crowd. And, and she has a little hat on. I see. And so, but there's all these people. And so I'm like, I got to get to my. I got, I, so I, what, I'm going to fix my eyes on her. And so I'm going to start to push. It's not that I don't see all these people. It's like, but it's going to be, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. You know, excuse me, sir, would you like a flower from Hardy Christian? No, get off my face with the flower. Would you like to give to our ministry? We have cool white uniforms. I gave it the office, brother. You know, you know, I don't care. You know, would you like a watchtower? No, just go somewhere and, and be awake, you know, whatever. But it's like you, because you don't care about them. You know, guys with a sign, you know. Bob Nerlman, you know, and, you know, they used to write around now, they use iPads, Bill Schmill, you know, we're here to pick him up, guys, the black, you I don't care about all that because all I want to do is get to where I'm going. And that's the thing about walking by faith and not by sight means that we fix our eyes on what is unseen, on the unseen reality of the things of God, the promises that he's given us, the things that, that we don't see because what we see with our eyes, it's useful information, it has its place. I see that the world's in trouble. It tells me I need to, I need to be trying to preach the gospel and love some people and share the good news and help people and, and, and pray about situations. And sometimes you see things with your eyes that will enable you to get out of danger, but you, that's not all. We, you know, he says, listen, you, we, we fix our eyes not on what is, what is seen, but on what is unseen. It's what is seen. It's all past. You know, there's nothing about this moment right now. Look around here. I guarantee you this building won't be here in 100 years from now. If I have anything to do for, for what it won't be here 10 years from now. You, you, uh, uh, virtually none of us will be here 100 years from now. Max may still be here. Yeah, Maximus Isaiah Williams. My grandfather was a preacher over here. <laughs> he used to complain that when he was leading worship, people looked at him funny, but then he realized that they needed their eyes fixed. But, that, you know, but that, that, this, you know. The city of Inglewood would probably have been merged with Torrance or something. I mean, a hundred years, nothing. All this, I guarantee you, all the stuff that you are stressing about, all the stuff that you are fretting about, all the stuff that has you losing sleep at night, all the stuff that's messing with your mind, most of it is temporary and most of it will not matter 10, 20, 25 years from now, certainly not a century from now. So we fix our eyes on the unseen reality of God and Christ and his kingdom and his promises while we live in the world fully engaged and fully, fully involved. But we keep our focus on the things that really matter. So we choose to walk by faith. And then Paul says in the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians, he says that explicitly. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live. In other words, you don't live according to your feelings. If you want a recipe for a failed life, live by your feelings. And some of you that are of a younger persuasion, because that's been the, the song of our culture. You know, I would, and, and then, you know, so you try to do the things of God. Well, you know, I'd like to see you at church. Well, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I'm not feeling that right now. You know, it's like when you having a heart attack and, and the uh, paramedics come to you and they say, we're going to give you this nitro. We're going to give you this IV and, and uh, do this thing so we can see what's going on. So, oh, you know, that's cool, but I'm just not feeling all that right now. I'm just, let, me just, let me just flow with this. <laughs> flow right on out of here. And, and living, walking by sight tends to, to feed that way of living. Now, I got I to gotta wrap this up. I got I to gotta let you go home. I got to let you go. Don't clap yet. <laughs> but listen, 
did you hear do you hear what God is saying to you uh, we though we are wasting away our outer our, our, our outward existence is wasting away though we are all headed for the same place we'll get there at different times in different ways but we're, we all end up despite that despite whatever losses despite whatever we go through we have the potential and the possibility to walk in what Paul is experiencing. And that is being renewed day by day. That's the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And that every day of your, that you get up, I know that the day before may have been horrendous. You may be facing challenging, difficult circumstances. But every day there is renewal so that it works like this. It's like, with regard to your physical life, if that's level, then, you know, we kind of, we kind of, it ain't no one of us that's going, you know, it's like, Kind of hit it down there. Some of you need you need to come, you know. You know, but this is like decline, right? Because you're going by the time you're 110, you would have hit that ground there. You know, maybe you got a little longer to go. But th- that's that's the outward life. But the life in the spirit is such that because of the renewal, it's go it goes it goes that way when the other. up years and as you get weaker and and more frail your spirit gets stronger your maturity grows and your knowledge grows and you are more powerful in god than you were when you were 20 years old you don't lose anything now so as i close i was just i was thinking about this you know i i know that we all get discouraged and I had this thought. I know it probably you probably don't like like what i'm about to say say, why is he sitting now sometimes sometimes some of y'all Things get tough, and you say, you know what, I just need to go get me a 40. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Don't worry about it. Those of you that do, some of you probably shouldn't. Get me a 40. Well, I got a 40 for you, okay? We're going to tell them the pastor broke out a 40 in the church. In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, God's people are going through the same kind of stuff that you and I are going through. In the Old Covenant, God's people are going through the stuff that the church is going through in the first century. And Isaiah gives them a word that, that, that embraces similar themes that I think enable us to, to, to tie a knot on this and to, to take it home. And, and he, he, he says this, he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? He's, and we sang it this morning. He said, the Lord is the everlasting God. He says, the creator of the ends of the earth. He says, he will not grow tired. He will not grow weak. He says, he says, he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He says, even youths grow tired and weary. So we all parents, you know that. 12 years old. I'm tired. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. You ain't did nothing yet. <laughs> and then don't get me talking about bored. I'm bored. When I was a kid, bored meant they'd pull out a board. Uh, but listen, he said, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Ah, but here's the contrast. But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength 
They will soar on eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's that same thing. If you, as you place your hope in God, as you build your hope on things eternal, as you, as you look to Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, the promise and, and, and the assurance that we have is that we will find renewed strength and vigor and energy in the midst of life's trials. And so I want to just say over you this morning that as you enter this new year, my prayer for each one of us is that we will experience that thing that, that Isaiah is talking about, that thing that Paul is talking about, where we would be renewed day by day, that we would soar on eagle's wings. I got to let it go, but I was thinking about these ducks I saw yesterday. Ducks. Got ducks over by my house. A lot of water over there. One took over our pool. They couldn't move him for uh, months because of some, because he was a protected species. And so he just kind of hung out in there. We quack. I was there one day when he came home, he went, and landed, splashed in the pool. But, but, But listen, I was watching ducks fly. I'm almost done, but you need to hear this. And ducks are funny. Because see, ducks kind of fat. They got a lot of fat. That's why, you know, when you ever cook a duck? Well, you know, because they got to float in the water and they got to stay warm. And all that. Ducks are really cool on the water. Quack, you know. But when they fly, they're like, they're just going, man. And they're not really going that fast and they're really not that high. You know, ducks, you won't, you know, flying planes, Dimitri, we won't encounter ducks at 10,000 feet. But the eagle is an entirely different thing. Now, let me just drop this on you and I'm going to let it go. You see, some of us are, are trying to fly like ducks. We think the harder we flap our wings, the higher we'll go and the faster we would go. And we ain't going nowhere. But see, the eagle understands something. that The, the eagle, he, 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 he glides and he, he, he soars, not so much because he's such a good flapper. But he's got this wingspan, and he he understands something. Eagles understood something that people didn't understand understand for about until about 150 years ago. That there are these rising currents of air called thermals. That 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 you can do things with the wind, with the prevailing wind. And so the an eagle gets up to a certain place, and you might see an eagle at 30,000 feet. He didn't flap his way all the way up there. He found a rising air of current, and he just kind of glided on up there. He found he found that, and he you know he just got in the right wind and the right air. And see, that's the way it is with us. It's not how hard you flap your wings. It's the degree to which you will trust and obey and let God do the work and allow the wind of the Spirit to be the wind beneath your wind your wings to allow the current of God's Holy Spirit to lift you to higher heights and greater places in God. That's what it's all about. That's where renewal is found. I'm not talking about try harder. I'm talking about trust more. I'm not talking about work harder and struggle more. We're talking about dealing with struggle. I'm talking about learning to lean on the promises, learning to receive by grace freely that which has already been given you. Renewal is yours. Walk in it this year. I'm done. Let's stand.